0: And The second thought that struck me very powerfully, and it's in part um, where I have been studying is, is on the topic of hope, is that the reality that um, whatever is happening in that church is because God is working, and what is happening in this church is because the same God is working our god is is the god of the body of christ and we are all part of the body of christ and he continues that work whether he moves us or whether he doesn't whether he gives us trials or whether he doesn't he is faithful and he is kind and we can rest in that and if you have a bible you can turn to romans 8 verse 31 Father, we just, we rejoice in hope. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, so many gifts you give to the church. We pray this morning, Father God, and and the days moving forward, that our hearts would be anchored in hope. We pray you would bless this morning's service. May you be pleased with our worship. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, my message is on hope. And, you know, this is, this is a topic near and dear to um, my wife and, and, and my heart. And you can imagine since, since the Lord took Maddie home last October that there, there have been moments where hope was seemed distant. The title of the message is the hope of an heir. Hope. It's part of everything we do in everywhere we go. And it's interesting, we we use the word hope in so many different ways. The most common way is that general way of desire or um, wanting a particular outcome. You might call this everyday hope. we express it, we express it positively. I hope I get that class. I hope I am picked for the team. I hope he asks me out, or I hope she goes out with me. Negatively, we might express it. I hope I'm not late. I hope I don't get stuck in traffic. I hope I don't get sick. I hope I'm not the last one to church. And these aren't bad. They're just expressions of how we we hope things turn out. And we see this in the Bible as well. It's not absent. In Romans, Paul says at the last of his letter, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. The letter of Philmon, prepare a guest room for me for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. And John in his last letter to the church says, I had much to write to you But I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. So hope expressed this way is very common, even for biblical writers. It is simply an expression of the circumstances or outcome I desire. And it is worth noting that this everyday hope carries with it No implied confidence. It's just an expression of desire. Biblical hope, the believer's hope, is a different thing entirely. Biblical hope inspires us, it motivates us, it encourages us, it sanctifies us. Biblical hope gives us courage, boldness, faith, peace, wisdom, endurance, Biblical hope causes us to be steadfast, faithful. Biblical hope causes us to live holy lives. And why? Because in contrast to everyday hope, biblical hope is built on three things. It's built on our sure and confident promises of our God, his unchanging character and attributes, and his sovereign power, And authority over all circumstances and events. This is what Paul meant when he said, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These things cannot separate us from the love of God. Because he is sovereign over these things. And over these things, he commands and rules. Our challenge, I think, is that we mix these up. Our believer's hope can become merely desires and wishes. Not fixed and certain. And things of this life... Become our hope, and sometimes the thing we bet everything on. My hope this morning is that we will learn first, what is biblical hope? Who is the recipient of hope? What is the importance of hope? And if it is important, how do we employ it so that we flourish in biblical hope? So, what is biblical hope? Well, the first thing you learn if you want to do a word study, and uh, for your leisure, I gave you a little word study. You're happy to take that home. We're really going to touch on a lot of scriptures because hope is simply everywhere in the Bible. It's the very fabric of the gospel. It's the very fabric of the word of God explicitly it's mentioned nearly a hundred times in the New Testament alone. The, 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 I don't think my counter went that high for the Old Testament. And not surprisingly, is the Old Testament was looking forward to so much. And implicitly, we see it everywhere. If there is one thing our faith represents, it is hope. Sure and certain hope. Hope of freedom from sin. Hope of the redemption of our bodies. It is a hope unseen. It is a hope to the praise of His glory. It is a hope of our calling in Christ. It is a hope of His great power toward us. It is a hope of the fruit of our testimony. It is a hope in death. It is a hope in life. It is a hope in the resurrection. A hope in the return of Christ. A hope of rescue from wrath. A hope of access to God. A hope of glory. Christ in you. It is a hope of the glory of God. A hope of salvation. A hope of salvation ready to be revealed. It is a hope of the grace to be revealed. It is a hope of the gospel. It is a hope of adoption. It is a hope of our inheritance. Peter says, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. It is a hope of eternal life. It is a hope in Christ. It is a hope in God. And we end with, it is a hope in God because it begins with a hope in God. All hopes flow from God. There is no hope apart from God. And God has placed all of our hope in Christ Jesus. Look at what Paul says to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Where, where is our hope when the world around us appears to be collapsing? It is being held together by the Son of God. Let that vision sink in. All of their hope is subordinate and is dependent on our hope in Christ. Without Jesus, there is no offering of sin. There is no forgiveness. There is no salvation. There is no resurrection. There is no eternal life. There is no glory. There is no gospel. It all resides in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Him we find hope for all things. Well, who receives this hope? And one way to look at it is asking the question who does not receive hope? Paul gave stern words to the church at Ephesus. From chapter two, he says, "Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh—these are the new believers—they have just come to know Christ. This is a culture that that did not know God. You Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by un, uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision." which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And hear these words, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's the truth Paul shares with the Ephesians. Without God... And separated from Christ, there is no hope. No hope. You might say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. The job's going great. Family's doing well. We got a good house. I don't need God. It's really our our modern day parable. You can look at it like a skydiver. There he is, jumping from a plane 10,000, 10,000 feet. The excitement and the thrill of it. And before him, he sees the entire world. It's laid out before him all possibilities. The beauty of it. As he passes that terminal velocity, the wind screaming through his hair, and he sees the earth approaching closer and closer. And suddenly realizing I have no parachute. No hope. If you have no parachute, you have no hope. Hebrews nine twenty seven and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Death is, is inescapable. It's awaiting us all, and judgment will follow. Everyone will die. Everyone will face judgment. But only some have hope. Only some will be saved. Do you have God? Are you separated from Christ? Without him you have no hope. You're a skydiver enjoying the breeze for a short time. But you've got no parachute. Jesus Christ Who lived and died on a cross, shed his blood for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, died for you. He is the only parachute, our only hope. It's such a simple verse, but our condition is simple. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe you're one that says, God could never forgive me. I don't know that I've ever shared this, but um, my brother, when he was 24, he was going to college at um, University of California at Santa Barbara. And he was head of the flight program at the school. It was his last year, he was going through a lot. And I remember the last time I spoke to him before I headed back down to school. And I was a new believer, struggling with my own faith. And he said, could God really forgive me? I've done a lot of bad things. And I wish I had been able to answer him more emphatically. But I did say, God can forgive anything. And he can That was the last time I saw him. Lost him to a plane crash days after that. But Jesus is our rescue. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a promise. That is a guarantee. That is solid hope. Who receives hope? The Bible uses three... Key phrases that I want to focus on that I think are so helpful for understanding the believer's hope. It uses the adopted of God, the children of God and the heirs of God. And it isn't any more well depicted than in this text in, in Romans 8:15 to 17. See, the adopted of God receive hope. Galatians 4, 6 puts it beautifully. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts Crying, Abba, Father. To be adopted of God is to experience God's purposeful choosing you, the unloved. To be adopted, and He uses this term, Abba, Father. It's a it's an intimate term it's it's like saying papa It means that we are loved intimately this isn't some deist's view of a distant impersonal mighty sovereign being this is our heavenly father this is the adoption that we receive i know this might sound silly And it might put the wrong pictures in your head, but one of our favorite holiday films that we turn on is that 1930s, my daughter is laughing at me, she knows exactly what I'm going to say, film Heidi, remember that? And if you can get that picture of the little kernel out of your head, (laughs) what you do see is a beautiful picture of an orphan. And we're spiritual orphans, aren't we? Apart from God. And I remember that scene, she's been manipulated and used by that evil aunt, right? And 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 her adoptive grandfather, who has has just embraced her wholeheartedly. She has become his life. And and in her moment of greatest fear and trial, she cries out, Grandfather, Grandfather. We We play that scene over and over again. But it's a beautiful picture. Lost and alone, manipulated by the world, manipulated by our own sin. God adopts us. Well, we're not only adopted by god the scriptures tell us that we become children of god romans 8:16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god we have hope that as children we will be like him a child of god bears the image of god in 1 john The apostle puts it this way. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We are not perfect but we make progress. And we have to remember the context of the progress that we make. The context is that we are in a fallen world, surrounded by sin, a world without hope, but within this world of no hope, we find hope. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When we understand the context that the fallen world that we live in is a fallen world that God has allowed us to be in. It is, it is a world that he has subjected to death and dying and futility, the Bible describes it as. But he, he says he did so in hope. It has a purifying effect on us when we focus on the Lord and what he is doing in our lives And one reason we need hope is that we need hope so that we'll endure in this life. We need to be encouraged. We don't want to quit on God while He does His sanctifying work. It's painful at times but it reveals the glory of the children of God. The letter of Hebrews, chapter 12, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Children of God not only bear the image of God, children of God become heirs of God and heirs of God receive hope. Romans eight seventeen, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him, reigning with Christ. When we think of being an heir, um, it it makes me think of the the time I, the great opportunity that I had to go to Scotland. And and as you can imagine, the first on the list, everywhere we went was find another castle. And I'll never forget the first castle we went to just outside of Edinburgh. um, Little one lane country road, um, swung around at the last by a convenience store of all things, hung a right, and there before us rose this giant castle, Castle Malar. And, uh, and it's fun to, to go up in and stand on the top and you look over an enormous amount of territory. And uh, some of the castles that we went in, um, particularly the ones that even have been lived in, uh, are lived in now or, or uh, only recently have been turned into more historical sites. And you'll go through the great rooms and, and you'll see the pictures of all the heirs Right? They didn't do anything to earn that. Nothing. It was given to them simply because they were the heir. And they received that castle. And all that domain. And they ruled it. And that is the phenomenal truth for us as heirs of God, and as Paul says, co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. If we are fellow heirs with Christ, what does the Bible say about Christ's inheritance? Well, Paul, speaking to the Ephesians... and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We receive from Christ and with Christ resurrection, rule, and glory. Think about that. We we aren't just forgiven of our sins, but we are resurrected. We we receive and and and, and I guess maybe it's, it's me that I that I have difficulty when I think that I will be resurrected. I think in terms of Mike resurrected, right? It just doesn't seem like a big deal, but Christ's resurrection. Our resurrection will be like his resurrection. And rule, when we think of rule, we usually think of rule oftentimes negatively. It, it, it's something that can simply be abused. When we think of God's rule and that we will rule with Christ, it means that we will rule in justice and righteousness. Think of, think of the, the moments in your life, in this world, that you feel the injustice all around you. And think that in a minute, in a second, in a fraction of light, you will be ruling in complete justice and righteousness, not in wanting power or 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 um, oppressing, but merely distributing God's justice and righteousness. What an amazing thought! In glory, we will receive His glory. Because his glory will be in us. Imagine if we lived in this reality of our inheritance in Christ. Think of the hope that would dominate our lives. Peter says in his first letter Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Remember what Paul said. You are an adopted child of God. You are an heir of the Most High. Believer, you are not without hope. We simply just forget who we are. So why is hope important? Why do we see it throughout the New Testament? Well, first, hope is necessary to endure to the end. Hebrews chapter 3, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Or Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And again in Hebrews, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Florence Chadwick. I don't know if anybody has ever heard that, that name before. I had never heard of her before, but she has a very interesting story. In 1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She would already been the first woman, woman to swim the English Channel both ways, This morning, the the weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother, in a boat alongside, told her she was close, that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. And at a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think that's true for us. We need to keep that picture of our hope before us. And the world will take it away. The troubles and difficulties of the world. It's, it's a perfect example, I think, of uh, Jesus' parable of the sower. So oftentimes, it's where we find ourselves. We're in the weeds. We're caught up in, in the cares and concerns of this world. And we lose sight of the hope that we have in Christ. So how do we flourish in hope? How does, how does it... How does it grow? How do we maintain it in our lives? The Bible tells us that for now, our hope is not seen. That's one of the challenges. It's built into faith. So how do we remain with hope? First, we meditate on Scripture. We meditate on the Word of God. That is where we find our hope. God has been so gracious to give us His Word and yet so few times that's the last place we go Romans 15:4 for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope secondly we rejoice be patient and we pray continually Romans 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And thirdly, we walk in love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things, believes all things. Love hopes all things. It endures all things. Set your hope on God, not on our circumstances he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us. Fifth, pray for an enlightened heart. Paul tells the Ephesians church that he, is, he has prayed for them. He has prayed that having eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And sixth, finally, remember God's faithfulness and stand in it. Psalm 42, the psalmist writes, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so, plant, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour up my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude keeping festival why are you cast down O my soul and why are you in turmoil within me hope in God for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God I leave you with this benediction Romans 15:13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope Pray with me Father God, we give, you, we give you thanks for all of your gifts. We give you thanks, Father God, that in you, in Christ your Son, we have hope. We have hope of the forgiveness of sins. We have hope of the resurrection. We have hope of eternal life. We have hope of heaven. We have hope of glory. Father, all these things are found in you. We just pray, Father, in our day, in the difficulties of our world, in the challenges of our jobs and homes, Father God, that you would anchor, you would keep our hearts fixed, And our hope in you. And we will give you the praise. And the glory. For these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well thank you. Sometimes these things. As a a new preacher. (laughs) You're not sure how fast you're going to get through these things. I had 14 pages. Maybe I was just very excited. But. We have hope that we can enjoy a long, extra long uh, morning before lunch, and uh, and, um, so I hope you have a great time with your family. One thing I wanted to share with you, um, we talked about ways to keep hope within us and before us, and I just want to share this book by Randy Alcorn, Heaven. This actually isn't the book. This is his 50-day devotional built on the book. And, uh, and, and we started reading the book together, um, and, and we needed hope. And we started fixing our hope on heaven. You know, and the interesting thing is, um, one of the things Alcorn talks in the introduction is how few times heaven is preached about, how few times heaven is... Talked about, and and he gives a number of reasons why that might be, but I think it is true. And, and 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 the thing about heaven, it is it is our ultimate end. It is our eternal state. And and there was a, a, a I'm a big uh, fan of Gary Larson. If you know the Far Side comic strip. I think he's retired now, but uh, he he has one funny comic strip where where uh, there's a guy with a halo and a and a harp, and he's floating on a cloud. And you know the tagline is "What now?" <laughs> and I and I think that is actually, in some ways, um, a reality to our detriment. There is there is a glory. And a, and a reality before us that is beyond anything that we can imagine. And if, and if we begin to spend time thinking about that reality and, and, and um, anticipating that reality, I think that will go a long way to generating hope within our hearts and if somebody tells you you're so heavenly minded that you know earthly good, tell them wrong. The more heavenly minded, I, the more if you look through history, the more heavenly minded people are the ones that are more earthly fruitful for the Lord. So keep your head up, looking towards heaven. Heaven, 50 days of heaven with Randy Elkhorn. You want to jump into a little devotional or pick up the big book it's a it's a big book it's a theology of heaven and uh you'll um you'll be surprised how huge it is when you dive into his book lord bless you lord keep you have a great week